Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. He's unpredictable. He's relentless. He's fearless. He's smart. He's a jerk. Oh, man, what a jerk. How would you describe Kirk Minahan? He's talented. He's blunt. He's complicated. He's the fakest tough guy I know. He's honest. A self-proclaimed weenie. He's angry. He's actually a good guy. He's a psycho big mouth prick. I wish we had more Kirk Minahans. How would you describe Kirk Minahan? Combustible. Unpredictable. Venomous. Chesty. Obnoxious. Selfish. Polarizing. Pompous. Enough about me. Let's get to the show. It's Kirk Minahan's Enough About Me. I'm about to fall into the trap. I'm going to say that Jack McMullen is the first female guest on Enough About Me. And that's kind of the problem, is it? Because she's a lot more than that. It doesn't really matter that she's a female journalist. But yet, somehow, it always creeps back into the conversation. And because I'm lazy and dumb and didn't know where else to start, that's exactly where I began the discussion with the Hall of Famer, Jack McMullen. All right. So we're, we're sitting here, and we don't know each other that well. No, I mean, we, we really we, don't. We've done some TV together. Mm-hmm. And actually... I ran into you in the Super Bowl at the Super Bowl. Yeah, who are you with? with? My you go- seem very with my, nervous. With my godfather, I Michael Doug. I was trying Doug. to talk to you, and you were running away from me. Uh, that's, well, that's not an accurate representation yes, of what is. happened. Oh, you know what? Can I tell you why that's actually true? I know so it's I was true. With, I was with my Uncle Doug, my godfather, who's a great guy and really loved you, so he was excited. Yeah. And she but I also don't want, I know, I don't want to bother you. Like I, You are not bothering me. And I told you that. And he, if it's someone, see, like, there's this, I think, an unspoken code in our business, and I think it's true among athletes, too. If someone wants to meet you that's a friend of right. someone in our business, that's, like, totally fine. I know, but you're having lunch with somebody. It's, it's... Actually, I was not. He was a total stranger. You saved me. See, that's oh, what you, should... you didn't know. Oh, I that didn't know guy, that. I was eating alone at the bar because there was no room service, <laughs> and that guy was bugging the living crap out of me. Really? So, yeah, you, oh, now I feel you bad. saved me. Yeah. But I was like, why is he running? Why is can he I, like, we got to go, we got to go. Can I tell you why I was nervous? Well, not nervous, but a little uncomfortable. Yeah. So it was the first time I saw you or had spoken to you. After this Aaron Andrews thing. Oh, right. I yeah. always, I, this yeah. inevitably comes up in this podcast. And with you, I figured it, we'll just get it out of the way. Yeah. So I said something obviously stupid. And one right. of the people I felt, not that I disappointed, because again, we didn't know each other, but I yeah. felt bad. I was like, when I see Jackie for the first time after this, I'm going to feel kind of like a shithead. I don't even think of it. No? To be honest with you. No, because, so Aaron Andrews is just a grenade for everybody, including she, me. Yeah. A complete grenade. So here's my take on that. Uh, Aaron Andrews is absolutely, and this is because the first thing everyone thinks of you, me, and everyone. She is drop dead gorgeous. She is a very um, articulate, clever person. She's just not a journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't be a journalist and hawk probiotics on television, and you can't be a journalist and be on Dancing with the Stars. Now, I've been coming to realize that my definition of a journalist is like everyone thinks I'm a dinosaur, probably an extinct one. But I, that's all I know, all right? That's all I know about what journalism is. So I feel horrible for what happened to Aaron Andrews. Horrible. Sure, of course. Horrible. Like it's the worst thing on earth. And people, when the judgment came down, and we all know she'll never see anywhere near that kind right. of money – People are saying, well, that's too much money. Well, who are you to say that? Because I do believe that she has suffered from this, and I do believe there's a genuine anxiety and anguish about what happened, and none of us can put ourselves in her place and, and possibly understand what that feels like. Okay? Are you are you at the point now, though, where you don't even really want to be asked? And, 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 and Well, well, let's backtrack for a second. So when the thing with Jess, who we both know. Right. Uh, and happened, I like Jess a lot. Me too. And I, and, yeah. I, and I have some sympathy for her too in a way. Yeah, I, still, I mean, I, she's, a human, a, she's a human being and this happens. Yeah, on a personal level, sure. yes. Sure. Yep. What compels you to feel like you have to call into EEI and smack Jerry Thornton around and give me plenty of joy as I was going for a run on some Tuesday afternoon or whatever it was? Well, so here, here we go again with this idea of what a journalist is, okay? And so, real quick, sorry. I'm sorry. I don't yep. mean to interrupt you, but. I wonder sometimes, do you feel like you have to weigh in on these situations? Um, sometimes I feel like I should, and I think better of it because I'm a pretty emotional person. And sometimes if it's why I'm not on Twitter. 
because I'd be fired by now. I know it. I know, I know myself. You know, I used to get a ton of emails at the Globe when I was writing stuff that people didn't like, which happened every day, especially Patriots and Red Sox fans. Right. right? And so they write you crap like, oh, well, you're a seven-foot Amazon lesbian. You don't know anything. And so, <laughs> oh, you know, you, but, but even right. worse than that. You I'm, know? Sure, I'm and, sure. And so you look at it and, you're, you know, your first reaction is, well, you're, a, you know, an idiot in your father's basement. And then mm. I always said, well, all right, just wait. 24 hours and then then you write back something more clever and you just write thanks for writing and though I'm amazed you know how and then <laughs> right. they answer and say oh my god I was drunk when I sent that I never thought you'd read it never mind answer it and oh, blah, blah, blah. so I've just learned that I'm a hothead right and so to protect myself from myself I usually just say wait mm-hmm. but the thing that day with Jerry that was different that really really well the whole thing bothered me um, because I can't believe we're having this conversation yet again about women in media and their role. I mean, you know, I'm just so tired of that. It's just so well, old. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's a so party where it's it. like, are we doing this again? Yeah, every time. Because, right. you know, it always segues to, should women be in the locker room? Really? We're going to go there again? Because my question would be, should men be in the locker room? I mean, maybe none of us should be in there, okay? Right. All I'm saying is it has to be the same. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm not sure any of us should be in there anymore. It's, it's such a colossal waste of time for most of us anyway. But, so mm-hmm. I'm driving and I'm listening and, uh, you know, I know Michael very well. I know Dale very well. They're good mm-hmm. friends of mine, have been for years. And I'm thinking, why are they letting this go on? That's really what upset me. I was, was upset. As letting much upset Thornton with say what he's saying. Yeah, right. like call this dude out. And I don't mm-hmm. know Jerry Thornton at all. Mm-hmm. He's been, a, I think, a wildly entertaining um, addition to WEEI. I, I, you know, tip my hat to him for the entertainment he brings. But I go back to this. He was talking about the role of a journalist and their role with the manager of a team. He knows nothing about that because he's never done it. Mm -hmm. He's not a journalist. He doesn't understand. And for him to sit there and, you know, throw Jessica Moran under the bus, hey, look, she deserves what she gets in this particular issue because she took this on and she knew what she was doing. She's not dumb. But to completely exonerate the manager, John Farrell, as if, well, hey, it's nobody's business what he does. I mean, that's just, come on. You don't understand the business. Is there is there part of you though that wants to, to you know, not that Jess, not even Jess is young. It's not like she's twenty two. No, she's but not. Is there part of you that when you when you see this, you want to talk to younger women who are getting into this business and say, listen, you know, just just, just stay out of trouble. Well, and I, mean, and, and I don't even mean because because ninety nine percent of them do. I think, of course, I think by and large, but. You know when Samantha Ponders marries and Samantha Ponder marries an athlete or something like Jess, right. it you seems know, people, like it sets stuff back fairly or unfairly. But people like that don't care what I think, and I get that. I mean, I'm 55 years old. Okay, I'm an old lady at this. You point. You mean like people like Jess and yeah, see, I, 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 I see. I would disagree with you on Jess because Jess kept it quiet for a while. There's a reason why she was doing that. Right. It's, and I, listen, I can't tell Jess Moran who to love, fall in love with, or I don't even know if that's where they are in the relationship. I have, I have no knowledge of it. But she knew that she was doing something wrong, and John Farrell knew he was doing something wrong. And listen, they decided, as two consenting adults, it mm-hmm. was worth it. I'm not going to judge them on that. All I can do is, again, set up the parameters for how our business works, how my business works. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, I don't even know if my business exists anymore. Like, where is the line between journalists and entertainers and reporters. I, I just, the line is so blurred. I think it's gone. I think it's yeah, totally and, gone. And, you know, like, so when I was in my early 30s, um, a bank came to me and said, we want to do a commercial on your very busy life as a journalist with your kids and your husband, and mm-hmm. we're going to pay you, I don't know, so much money. And I was like, oh, I, I can't do that. And they're like, well, why not? I'm like, well, you know, I'm a journalist. I can't hawk products. And they're like, well, a bank, though? What's that going to do? I'm like, I don't know. This is just the code that I was brought up under. And, Man, I'd love to do it, but I can't. And then Sport Court, remember that company? Yeah, Sport sure. Court? Yeah. yeah. So Sport Court says to me, "Oh man, we want you to hawk Sport Courts." Right. And I said, "Oh man, they're the greatest product ever." They're like, "Well, we'll build one for you and for your sister who told us about you, <laughs> and we'll give you like twenty thousand dollars." And I'm like, "Oh well, that would be awesome, but you know, I can't, I can't, I can't." And and people are like, "Well, why can't you?" I'm like, "Because this is this is what a journalist is supposed to be." So if Bank of you know Bank of America ever calls you still today in this changing world, you'd still say no. Yeah. I would, and I'm an idiot. No, I don't know that, but I but I would say that I don't think... I any... had this conversation with Jerry once. You know, Jerry and I are good friends. Yeah, Jerry sure. Kelly yeah. and I are good friends. And he said to me one day, he said something about... It was when he first started doing this, and look, he's gone on to make millions and done great. And I said, Jerry, you're reading ads on the air. He's like, yeah, so what? I go, 
you can't read an ad on the air if you're a journalist. Like, you just can't. And he was like, oh. And he thought about it. And then he just made a decision, a good one, by the way, for him yeah. to go for it. And so I'm a, you know. But you, have, you, have to, but you must know that if you, so you do this bank ad. Let's say tomorrow you decide to do a bank ad yeah. on the air. And then you write a Kobe Bryant piece for ESPN the magazine. Yeah. When I'm reading it, I'm not thinking this is compromised that. because she that. took. It's different than that. it's so, different if you were doing a commercial, which I see a lot on your on ESPN. If you were right. playing, you know, if you were playing like a game Seth of Davis. horse, did you see the game, the Seth Davis commercial last yes. night? Yes. So like that's wrong. That's an issue for me because I don't, I can't it's take him seriously anymore. I, when I'm watching it, he's severely you know, it's compromised. Funny, it's funny. Um, I watch House of Cards. I like House of Cards. Mm-hmm. You know. And all those political pundits that are appearing on House of Cards. It's are, weird. Are I you know. kidding me? Are you I know, kidding like Wolf me? Blitzer and yeah, like CNN really guys. Big, and the cross is the line people. totally yeah. into reality. So, but you know what? I Listen, I'm not going to get on my big soapbox and tell everybody what to do, okay? I, I stopped doing that a long time ago. I only have to do what I feel comfortable with, and, and that's what I feel comfortable with. And I'm the only one left on this earth. So be it. And, you know, the funny thing was ESPN, it's like when I was working at Sports Illustrated, I think that's when the bank one came up. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, well, you couldn't do this anyway. And then, you know, Rick Riley's doing a Miller-like. Right, so right. it's like, oh, really? I can't, you know? Right. Oh, but he can. And same thing with ESPN. Do you, you, do you think it's – just to circle back for one second, do you, do you think it's – dangerous is a dumb word. Yeah. But when Nesson hires somebody like Jenny Dell with no experience – yeah, and they wheel her in yeah. there. I mean, and Jenny Dell is one of the greatest people. She's so of nice. All time. She's, she's really nice. I feel bad because I was kind of rough on her, and I thought. Well, but, it, she, it, but, but it you were rough on her because she she wasn't equipped to do her job. She's not good at her. She wasn't good at her job, but it's no. not her fault. It would be like putting you know uh, anybody who has no experience in it yeah. in there. But she happens to be really attractive, and she goes into a locker room, and there are other Pleasant. attractive people yep. who are her age, and those are the only people she's ever around all the time. Right. Like what is what do you expect to happen? Well, I expect. I mean, it, I guess. See, see realistically, this, I'm okay, saying. Okay, but then, then it goes back to this. So, it's different. I you... remember, um, oh, what was her name? Hazel May. Hazel yeah. May. They was once quoted saying, um, "The well, if they ever policy, told, yeah, yeah. I mean, so clearly, Hazel May's in this business for a different reason than I am, <laughs> right? And Jenny Dell is in this <clears throat> business for a different reason than I am. I don't think Jessica Moran started I, out that way. I agree with you. You know, and yeah. and something happened, and. Again, I'm not going to judge them. I like them both personally. But but when I'm listening to Jerry Thornton talk about what he perceives to be the right way and the wrong way and the rules of this game of this of this world that he doesn't live in. Man, I, I can't sit there and listen to that. I just can't. When did you stop becoming a female journalist? I'm the wrong person to ask. You'd have to ask. Well, I mean, when yeah. did you? you the, the, a long time ago. I I, hope. I, I think so, I hope. but I, I'm wondering. I just what... remember once um, I was covering an NBA game and uh, somebody said something crude, you know, and turned to me. It was a bunch of us. Another writer or something? No, oh. I was. It was a bunch of coaches and GMs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was at a league meeting, and they went, "Oh, sorry, Jackie." I said, oh, "It's okay. I swear too. I say right. crude things too." And Matt Gukas, who was the, this is how long ago it was, was the Orlando Magic coach at the mm-hmm. time, and he said. Ah, oh, sorry. I kind of forget you're a girl. And I'm like, that's a good thing. That's the point. That's yeah. What? So, I mean, listen, uh, Grady Little, when he was here, I remember I asked him a bunch of questions, and he wouldn't answer them. I don't know why. He just didn't. It's like he didn't hear me. And then someone would ask the exact same question, and he would answer them. So I'm like, okay, that, that's how he's going to roll. But by the end, Grady Little and I were great. And when he got fired, he ended up taking a coaching job with the Cubs, I believe, and I was out in Arizona to do a Barry Bonds story for the mm-hmm. Globe, and I went over there, and he gave me the first story, exclusive interview after he got fired. Right. So people can change, you know. They can they can understand because I'm, I'm sure he's looking at me thinking I was pretty young or whatever. He's probably thinking, well, what is she doing here? What's her game? What's she after? Right. And that's the problem with what happens with Hazel May or Jessica Moran or any of these. Um, you know, no one, no female journalist should walk into a locker room or a clubhouse and have people say. Well, what's what's her angle? What is she? I wonder what she's really here for. You know, we, we're dead in the water if that happens. When did you start at the Globe? 1982. Right out of college. Right out of college. I was a news intern at the Globe. Uh, well, I have to back up. Really, I was at UNH. I wanted to do the Globe internship. UNH back then had this incredible relationship. It was pretty. It was a national internship. It's really mm-hmm. hard to get. Yeah. The Globe's internships. People from all over the country. But UNH had a guaranteed spot. So one UNH student every summer went to the Globe. So okay. that was really an amazing thing. Yeah. Uh, and so I – you're supposed to do it as an undergraduate. Mm-hmm. They don't take any graduates. They don't want people bugging them for jobs afterward. Sure. 
But I was playing basketball at UNH, so I was behind on the internships. I couldn't do any during the school year because basketball covered both semesters. So I was a senior, and I hadn't done the Globe internship yet. So I'm like, ah, what are we going to do? My professor said to me, let's just defer your graduation. I said, is that legal? He goes, I don't know. Let's just do it. (laughs) So we deferred my graduation. So I had already graduated, but they thought I was an undergrad. So that's how I got in. I was on the news side, Mm -hmm. working on the news desk. And they had this great sports intern named Ian Thompson. Yeah, of course. He was at... And the sports section. So Ian and I became best friends. He's still my best friend in this business yeah. to this day. Our families are very close, our wives, husbands, the whole thing. And I used to just hang around the sports department all day long. I would do my shift. I had the, the lobster shift, they called it, um, 7 to 3 on the news desk. And then i just scoot over to sports and just sort of hang out and soak it all up, you know. Mm-hmm. And then one day, what I hoped would happen would happen. They were shorthanded. I said, hey, I'm from the news. I'll do it. And Vince Doria was like, who the hell are you? And Ian goes, no, she's all right. She can do it. She knows sports. She knows right. she played. And so they sent me out to do, I don't even remember what it was. And uh, so when I got done, I just said, hey, look, I'm young. I'm cheap. I'm a woman. What do you say? And he, he said, he said um, come back in a month. And then in a month, he had me do over the next month do Northeastern football games. That's how important it was. <laughs> and he, after a month, he said, I don't know why, but I'm going to hire you. And I'm like, okay, sounds good to me. Not exactly the most ringing endorsement you could ever hope for, but I'm going to run with it. So. And you're learn. I mean, you're there. I mean, that's when I'm growing. Well, I'm oh, nine, ten years old. Nine, amazing. ten years old at that point. So but it's amazing. everybody's. It. Everybody's there. And everybody, like I remember, just driving up there um, to the top every day and looking for the cars. Like, is Montville here today? Right. Oh, is Ryan here? Oh, Willie's here today. You know, it was just, it was just tremendous. And of course, a year later, they hired Ian. I mean, Ian and I were like, we were best friends, but we were bashing each other's brains in trying to be the 10th guy on the Celtics, Celtics store right. you know or the ninth guy on the the Patriot well the Patriots sucked back then but the Red Sox you know and and Ian always won Ian was a much better writer than I ever thought about being did you you wanted that Celtics beat though is that something you coveted from the start or did you I was not nearly presumptuous enough no no and that um, was was Ryan on the beat at that point or no so we're talking early 80s yeah too so like uh yeah Ryan and then he 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 the column job opened and he Left in a huff because he didn't get it. And he went to Channel, Channel 5, 5 for a year. Yeah, yeah, right. So then Shaughnessy stepped in. I think it was Shaughnessy, right? It was, yeah. yeah. He stepped in. And then Ryan came back. And uh, so my great thrill was getting to be the ninth or 10th man in on some of those great Celtics teams in the mid-80s. And Ian had already been doing it for two or three years. And I was bull about that. I was so pissed. I didn't get to do it, you know. But I guess Vince didn't think I was ready. And he might he was probably right. I mean, what were you so like in eighty four, eighty five, eighty six, what yeah. were you doing for the Celtics then? What was your So I was like the what, tenth man just in doing and, you know, whatever. maybe once in a while do an off day practice or right. something like that. And you know, for the playoff games, I'm I don't think I traveled. No. Yeah, eighty four I wasn't even covering them. Right. You know, I mean we're talking eighty six is really when I first jump in. Okay. In eighty seven, the next year I really got to do a ton. I was the advanced person. So in So what changed? Well, who it's who moved where? You um, don't remember? So you, just, you were just kind of moving up. I think it was just, yeah, I was, it was really- uh, You've been there for five years or Yeah, whatever. I mean, I covered the 86 World. I was covering every big event. So like the 86 World Series, I'm the one that got Buckner and had to run upstairs and had, you know, nine minutes with Vince over my shoulder going, <laughs> is it in, is it in? And I turned around and finally said, well, you shut the fuck up. Because it's late. I mean, it's, it's late. Right. And I was like, leave me F alone. And- I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get fired. I just yelled at my boss. you know. But So I think he just saw me and thought, yeah, maybe she can handle this. And so, and Ryan, I have to say, Bob was a huge proponent of mine. He just was so good to me. He was saying to Vince, she loves the game. She knows it. Let me, you know, let's use her. So for the 87 playoffs, what I would do is, like, the next round they're going to play Milwaukee. This is how much money we had back then. Mm-hmm. They'd send me to cover the Milwaukee series. Like, I'd go to the series before. Oh, Milwaukee, Detroit, or whatever it yeah, was. Whatever, yeah, whatever. Whatever was next. Six, right. and, and, and so I was covering the NBA. I mean, yeah. I was doing that on my own. Right. And then I was there for the finals in L.A. And I remember just Ryan was so great to me. God, he was so great. So, um, and then the, the next year, uh, I was around a lot. And then, yeah. of course, Bird, that's when Bird had the, the next year after that was the Heels. Yeah, 88 was the Dominique. Yeah. The year and then the year after they got hurt. Yeah, and those six were the years I was the, the quote unquote beat writer. I had the worst, right. the most dog years ever. But by then the guys already knew me. I'd been around yeah. a lot. And did um, you know how great? I mean, did you know in '87? Did you know? I did. did I did. I we we say this all the time. We knew because those guys, those teams, they you know they had their issues, which we discovered very soon afterwards. But they were so much fun to be around, and they loved having fun at our expense. You know, like, right. I remember I wrote a like an off-day thing on Danny Ainge and 
um, how he was so hyperactive. He's everybody's little brother. And I called yeah. him hyperactive, you know. Right. And he never said a word about it. I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think it was, you know, whatever. But then, the, so then we're in the um, the garden for an off day playoff, you know, practice. And they had these big long tubes that they were going to put up in the lights, you mm-hmm. know. And they were they were stacked up on the table, and you know it was just the media crush back then was ridiculous. And so somebody kind of jostled me into the table, and one of these lights fell off the thing and just smashed everywhere. And of course they're practicing, you right, know, right? And they look over, and everybody's like looking at me, and Danny's like, "Oh, you're kind of hyperactive," you know. Like so they were <laughs> right. always like Aware. The give and take. You know, I remember being in an airport with Bird and um, in Milwaukee, and there was no place for them to go. You know, they flew commercially; there was no room for them to go mm-hmm. hide in. And so he's like, do you have a newspaper? I go, yeah. He goes, here. I go, why? He goes, I don't want anyone to talk to me. So he's like, the newspaper up. And I remember this kid came up to him, and people were trying to come up to him. And this one guy came up to me and says, Larry, the flight was delayed. Larry goes, what? He goes, you want to play cribbage? Larry's like, yeah. So this kid played cribbage with Larry for like an hour in the, in the airport terminal. And Larry loved it because no one could bother him. Oh, we're in the middle of the game. Come back afterwards, you know. What's changed? I mean, obviously, it's Everything's in, changed. insane. But the access for you and in, in, in a changed. practice in '87, that what Hellenic, you would go there wherever Hellenic, it was. Yeah, right. You go to practice. You could just walk up and talk to Bird well, we or used to go to practice. Right, I mean, you'd be you at know, practice the whole time, right? Yeah, we'd go before. See, and what I always did was went before practice. Yeah, because the good players were always out. Kevin, people always talk about Larry working out and putting in the extra time. And Kevin did every bit as much as that. He was just a little more discreet in how he did it. Um, and I'm not saying Larry was trying to have everybody see him. It's just that Kevin had young kids, so he would get up super early. Although Bird himself has is, is hinted or has said a lot of times that he thinks if Mikhail had worked harder, he could have been an even greater player. Where does yeah. he? Where does where does that come from? Do you think? Is no, that... I know exactly where it comes from because, and I tell, I describe this all the time the same way. So when Larry's got a guy down and he's torching him, right? He's scored tw- you know ten times in a row on him, and he's the guy's lying on Grom, and, and Larry's got his you know foot on his larynx. And he's going to look down at that guy, and he's going to crush his larynx. And, you know, Mikhail's going to do the same thing, score 10 times in a row, and the guy has got his foot on the guy's larynx, and he's, he's going to say, ah, you've had enough, and he's, he's going to help him up. Right. That's the difference between the two of them. Yeah, Mikhail just wasn't a killer. Yeah, he didn't want to be. Yeah. And, you know, Mikhail had a very balanced life, the, one of the most balanced superstars I've ever seen. He had a ton of kids and a wife, that, his high school sweetheart that he really liked. He was a family guy. He liked his, you know, his best friends were from Hibbing. He right. Just, he, and, and Bird, too, by the way. Bird was very much like that. But Kevin just had other things going on in his life. And, and Larry, on purpose, had nothing else going on in his life. I feel like McHale has been not forgotten historically, but he's I do. not I appreciated he's enough when you – I, I mean, the he's time. the best post player who ever lived. Ever. I've seen, I would say, Olajuwon, Duncan, and McHale. But I'd probably put McHale first. He oh, was yeah. a great defensive player. Well, Later on in his career, he could shoot from the outside. Yeah, I he mean, shot threes at He the shot end. threes. He was an 85% free throw shooter. He's the surest two points – I've, it is best. I've, I've never seen a player who can do the things that he did. Yeah, up and under. I used to like go home, and and on the weekends when I was playing and try to do all that crap. It's Me too. Hard. I was five, yeah. I was five six and whatever, yeah. and, and posting guys yeah. up and trying to do that that fade away that one, with the, the little yeah, like and the, the up and under. Up and under one. He, you know, I think part of it is because he just doesn't care. It goes back to what we were saying before. He didn't care about his legacy. He didn't care about his place in history. He still doesn't. You know, they ask him all the time to come back and do things, and he just doesn't. And you know, I remember once. I was yes I was at ESPN. It was near the end for well not near the end for Mikhail, but it was probably like eighty eight, eighty seven, eighty eight, somewhere right. in there. And they wanted to do a Sunday conversation with Kevin McHale because he's never he had never done anything for ESPN. And I was just starting to work with them. My globe was my full time job, but I was doing stuff for ESPN. And so I went to him and said, Hey, you know, can you do this Sunday conversation with me? And he goes, Oh no, I don't I don't do those. And I said, Oh, and I must have I was pretty young then, so I must have looked disappointed or something, right. you know. And he's like Oh, you look disappointed. I said, oh, it's okay. I just, you know, I thought it would be good to do. And he said, well, is it, is it going to help you professionally? Like, is, it a, is this like a good get for you? And I'm like, what? He said, well, you know, if it's going to help you professionally, I'll do it. And I was like, yeah, it would help me professionally. So he did it. Huh. You know, that's what he was like. Uh, are you surprised that these guys, are you surprised when, when you knew Bird pretty well? Obviously, mm-hmm. you've written books with Bird. Yeah. When Bird was playing, did you look at him and say, this is a guy who's going to be a basketball lifer? He's going to coach? He's going to be no. the president of a team? Or is he just going to go away to... I thought he was going to buy a team. That's what yeah. he always had said to me when he was a player. He said, I'll never coach. He said that to me so many times. And, of course, he ended up doing it. And, he, and the reason he says he did it was, and he did stay to his word, he said, I'll be there three years no matter what right. happens, good or bad. And, and it seemed like he was, not hands off, but it seemed like he had, was it Dick Harder and, yeah, and, he and had Rick Carlisle. Carlisle, right? Yeah, and he and had he... Carlisle drawing up the plays in the right. middle, which was unheard of and now yeah. a lot of teams do it uh and but he did it strictly so he could learn the front office yeah. uh, because once he 
you know, he tried to buy the Celtics twice. Right. And, uh, you know, the Gassons didn't like him because he was a Gavitt guy, and they, in the end, didn't like Gavitt. So there were no way they were going to sell it to him. What does he think of the Celtics now? What's his relationship with the Celtics bad. now? It's too bad, is right? Is it complicated it's... now with him and the Celtics still or no? I, mean, it's, I don't I mean, think it's complicated. I know he's had a good run with the Pacers, and he's had, yeah. you know, but it does suck that he's not with the Celtics. I he's... agree, and I don't think it's complicated. I, the, the complicated part was was red. That was too bad, and that was just two stubborn old jerks that should have communicated with one another. This is Bird and... And uh, Red. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't even remember what the genesis of it was. Did it end poorly? Like, at um, the end? It didn't end poorly, but it didn't end well, right. you know? And I think near the end of his life, um, near the end of Red's life, Larry started calling him. Mm-hmm. And Larry's a really, really stubborn guy. Uh, I love Larry Bird personally. He's been great to me. Um, he's the one person I can honestly say I have no objectivity anymore. And so it's dangerous for me. You very rarely see me write about the Pacers because I, I can't. I mean, I could rip the Pacers tomorrow for right. the bad job he's doing and all that. But it's just hard for me. I, I understand that I have – he's one of those guys that I did cross the line with. I just did because – When you write books for somebody, is it over? Do you feel like you can't um, You can't weigh in? No, you still can. With him, it's not even the books. It's just it's we've the, had a long relationship. History. Yeah, we just had a long history of things that, you know, somehow extended off the court. He seems like a complicated guy, though. He no? is. Yeah, he is. He's And he's stubborn. And one of the things I hate most about him is how stubborn he is. And, you know, I remember him telling me about, um, you know, his parents, right? So that – Mm-hmm. His dad obviously had a major effect on his life. His dad took his life, as everybody right. knows. They were divorced at the time, mm-hmm. um, his mom and, and his dad. And his dad was had al- alcohol issues. He had a lot of issues. He, he, was a, he was a war veteran. He'd wake up screaming in the middle of the night with horrible nightmares. You know, the guy was tortured. And, uh, and you know, as everybody knows the story, he called his wife, said, you're better off without me, killed himself on the phone. And so, th- so my uh, Larry's mom, Georgia, was just a really strong, as you can imagine, woman. Mm-hmm. And Larry greatly loved her and appreciated her. But I remember having this conversation with him about, um, oh, has your mom seen anybody? And he's like, what are you asking me that for? I said, well, I'm just wondering, does she, you know, has, right. you know. Yeah. And he said, no, she, she had one chance at marriage. You only get one chance at marriage. And I'm like, who are you to say? <laughs> what the heck? Well, who are you to, you know, and I, we got right. into it in a big way. This was many years ago. And uh, he's like, no, that's and, and of course now Larry ended up getting married twice. So this is after this is before his second marriage. Oh, way right, before. right, right. Yeah, and I was just like, you can't, you you can't make decisions like that for the, your mother who went through hell and back. Does he have a relationship now with that daughter, with the first daughter? Uh, I think he does. That's a very complicated thing. Did you go on? Were you on? You were kind of in the middle of that at one point, weren't you? Were you I was. Oprah or something? No, I didn't no. go. I didn't go on that. No, wasn't nope. that part? Wasn't Oprah? Didn't Oprah do a show on it? They did, and I I declined. Um. My complication from it was this. Again, I know things, some things I can share and some things I just can't because they were told to me in confidence. And what I always say about that is he screwed up. There's no way to turn it any other way. He was absent in her life when she was young. He shouldn't have been. He couldn't get past the animosity he felt towards the mother of that daughter, and he couldn't get past that, and that's on him, a thousand percent. And what I love about Dinah is she's the one that made him – no, this is your daughter. Right. She's going to be part of our life. We're going to include her in our life. And they did. The problem is by then it was too late. And this young girl, young lady who now is growing up with a mom who is bitter and has right. a right to be. Sure. Again, I'm not judging anybody on this. It, it, the relationship now is forced and they're trying and you can't make it work. And, and I can't really get into all the details of that. But I will say that as a young adult, there were two sides to this story. But he lost his chance to tell his side, in my opinion. He knows that. And I used to say to him, I said to him once, doesn't it bother you, like, that people say all these things about you and, you know, and they don't know all this other stuff? And he's like, well, I know. Right. Why does anyone else have to know? I remember the, the sports century they did on him. And Peter Vesey talks about it. And he says, does it ever bother you all the stuff? And he said, I don't read it. Yeah. Is that true? He, is that, was he doesn't. That, he did, yeah. Even when he was playing, he never read it, never paid any attention once to it? Once, actually, once in an airport, Vesey wrote, it was during. It was when the whole thing happened in Detroit. I don't know how fo- close you followed those teams, but they were trying to reduce Bird's role. He was, you know, he wasn't physically the same. Chris Ford was the, the Chris coach. Ford years, right, right, yeah. And and uh, he went to a game in Detroit and he refused to shoot the ball. I don't know if you right. remember this. Yeah, I remember this. Yes, I'm a point forward. He right, said after right, the game, right, right. And and it, it was it was immature, immature. It was a, a, a superstar having trouble dealing with his own mortality. But then you have to add into the mix that you got. Jim Paxson there, clubhouse lawyer who's saddling up to McHale and McHale and Bird. Aren't so that quite was so the that same. so that happened, right? So Paxson oh, totally was so did. Paxson came in and was 
complete like, clubhouse lawyer. Yeah. yeah, complete clubhouse lawyer, and caused a lot of problems. But you know, Mikhail was complicit, and hey, Mikhail had a right to say some of the things that Jim Paxson said. Mikhail had a right to question Bird because they'd been through it together. But Mikhail was never Paxson was always because you would read off the record. Uh, guys yeah. who wouldn't give their names, anonymous sources. Yeah, that but was, Kevin was one of those. He was. So he he was, and he admitted it. Yeah. He admitted it. So years. he would rip Bird and not put his name on it. That's. But that's, he did. But he did later. Yeah. He, when he finally came and someone said, hey, but it must have been you. And, and Mikhail said, yeah, I had questions about him, and uh, I Bur- told him. Do Bird and Mikhail have a relationship now? They do. They're fine now. They're fine, they're fine now? now? They're not close. They weren't really all that close near the end anyway. They're absolutely fine now because they sort of have this mutual respect for one another. But but the interesting thing well, the about Vessi you, thing, yeah. Yeah, the Vessi thing. So Vessi wrote. You know, birds uh, can't have – Yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. sure. So we're in an airport somewhere, and I don't remember where. And Larry came up to me and he said, Jackie. He said, uh, what did Pete write? And I said, oh, yeah. And now remember, this is like before the internet. Sure. You can Google everything. Right. I said, yeah, you should go home and look that up. You know, he said some – he goes, oh, well, who who who, did, who were the guys quoted? I said, well, they weren't quoted. I mean, there's no names on right. it. And he goes, oh, we all know who that is. I said, do we? Who are they? You know, so right, I'm like, right, you know, whatever. Right, right, why and, not? Um, so anyway, that's when he comes back and says, you know, Paxton, this guy is a yellow streak down his back, doesn't name him either. I remember that, yeah. On purpose. Right. You know, so all of that, when it's all said and done now, what happens is all these years later, Bird and Mikhail, they've been through too much together. They won sure. champs. It, it all goes away. But but Paxton, years later, Bird's getting involved with some playing card deal. You know, Bird's a very savvy businessman. And the guy, one, the guy who doesn't know, says, "Oh, I have a surprise for you. One of your ex-teammates is our rep. He's he's flying out to uh, see you, so you can go over this deal with him." And Bird said, "Well, who is it?" And he said, "Jim Paxson." Bird said, "Did his flight leave yet?" And the guy looks at his watch. He goes, "Oh, not for another hour." So Bird waits an hour and then calls the guy back and says, "Tell that mf'er I'm not seeing him." But he waited till Paxson got, got on, on the plane, plane took off. all the way across that's the country. That's a good power move. Yeah, that's Bird. What that's was, Bird. Could you be a beat writer today? Could you? Would you have any if you were starting you know, yeah. tweeting? Blogging, yeah, it'd be hard. It'd I mean, be hard it for is... me, but I mean, if I were if I were doing it today, I would probably be a young person that grew up with social media. That's I've, true. I've but there are good, but there are people. I mean, Steve Pets a contemporary of yours. He's yep. got he's you know people like that have to do it. And it's, yeah. I read and I think that must be for them really yeah, it must tough. Be really hard. Yeah, I don't know how Steve is still doing this after all these years. It's it's an exhausting thing. I'm glad I did it. I think every journalist should do it because it really teaches you discipline and and you know also you got to criticize people that you care about. And you got to show up the next day, and that's uh, I've always had great. That's where Shaughnessy, I, I think, is the best in town. Anytime he's ever gone after someone, he shows up the next day. That's what you're supposed to do. And people don't. I remember Charlie Pierce, who I have great respect for as a writer. He's one a brilliant writer. Mm-hmm. He wrote this piece on Doug Flutie once and just destroyed him, and then never saw him again. Like, right. nope, doesn't work that way. And I remember I wrote a thing on Gavitt, Dave Gavitt, who was someone that I had a who treated me very well as a young writer when I was in my 20s. I covered the Big East. That was my first beat. He used to take me out to lunch in his big Cadillac and, you know, everything. We were, you know, we had a great relationship, but he was a disaster here. And I called him and said, I got to write this story, and I just wanted to let you know. It's like, you're not going to like it. And he's like, well, what do you mean, Jackie? And he tried to talk me out of it, and I said, you know, this is what I have to write. And I, I just think he thought I wouldn't do it. And I wrote it, and I showed up the next day. And I thought the guy was going to kill me. Really? Oh, you know, he was so, because he couldn't believe it. Like, I think he felt like, I treated you like a daughter, and this is what you do to me. He struck me as overwhelmed, Gavin. It just seemed like, I, it just, I don't know, it just seemed like a bad Disinterested, fit. Disinterested, Kirk. Really, you know? that was yeah, it? Yeah, it was more like, I'm the grand poobah, and I'm the idea guy, mm-hmm. and I hire other people to do my nuts and bolts. That's always what was so brilliant about Dave Gavin. Like, he created the Big, Big East. Big sure. He created the notion of it, and then Mike Trangisi implemented right. it. Right. Him and Tommy McElroy. And so, when Dave got to the Celtics, I went out to lunch with him. Off the record lunch, right mm-hmm. before... And he said, what should I do? I said, you need to get rid of everybody in there. You need to have your own people in there. And if, if you don't do that, you're not going to succeed. He didn't listen to me. But he couldn't get rid of Red. No. No, I not mean, you Red. can't do that. But no, you, no. You mean, but like, you mean like Jan Volk. Jan you know, Volk he had and... people there. You know, there was John Jennings. There were people there that were going to save their own skin. Right. And he needed a Mike Trangisi in there with him. And he didn't have it. And he just, he just thought he was above going to, for instance, the NBA All-Star game. Well, if you're a first-year GM who's never been in the NBA, you should probably go. Right. You know? And he just – that was – it was more like, well, I'm above that. I'm I'm Dave Gavitt. And that wasn't good. You know, he, he – and you know what else? He's a college guy through and through. The idea of trading a player for a salary cap space, it didn't, just gave him hives. Didn't make it any sense to him. Hives. Yeah, he just couldn't do it. Was he a – 
Was he around when Lewis died? I guess he was, right? Oh, yeah. He was in the middle oh, right. of that. He was, right. He was, he was in the middle, middle of that. Whole... He's the one that held that ridiculous press conference to announce that he had, that Reggie Lewis had a benign fainting condition. Right. I was right. like, are That's you right. joking? I remember going up to him afterwards saying, what are you doing? What do you think of that 20, 23 years later? What do you make of the whole thing? It breaks my heart. I'll tell you what I, what I make of it. Reggie Lewis should be home right now. Enjoying his children in old age with a defibrillator in his chest yeah. because that's what that dream team told him he needed. And he and Donna, for whatever reason, were frightened to hear that or I'll never know. Well, they just kept shopping, right? Yeah, Until they kept f- shopping. But you know what? The thing that gets lost in that, so the second opinion was Gilbert Mudge, Mudge benign yeah. fainting condition. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, we know Mudge didn't believe that either. Right. He was covering for Reggie. In his mind, it was the drug use from the cocaine. Mm-hmm. Mudge, Mudge claims that Reggie Lewis mm-hmm. told him that in his car. One well, night. they said he has severely damaged heart because of cocaine, right. too, a lot of people think, right? Right. Well, that's what Gilbert Mudge told us right. on the stand when they, when they sued Correct. him. But what, what gets lost in all this was there was a third opinion, and it was a, a group of doctors in California. Because I remember saying to Donna, his wife, why didn't you get a third opinion? She said, how do you know we didn't? I said, well, how would I know you did? You never answered my phone calls. And they did go to California for a third opinion, who was very much in line with what the Dream Team of doctors said. And I'll never forget one of the Dream Team doctors who has to stay nameless said to me, Jackie, what we should be doing right now is get, saying, what a shame Reggie Lewis has to retire, but he's going to live a long, happy life with that defibrillator in his chest. And, you know. A while back, I mean, if you think about it, you know, back-to-back first round pick, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, the total the, death now. Right? I mean, the bias, the bias thing, thing is too, yeah. still, you know, so where were you? I mean, you were at the Globe, but were you so I was, involved in that, covering well, that? or I ended up covering the um, indictment. I ended up going, so I, I was in a, a golf tournament in upstate New York doing a story on Pat Bradley. I don't know what I did to deserve that. but Oh, um, the golfer, the Westford golfer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. tough. She's tough. Really? Yeah, she's one of my least favorite people I've ever interviewed in my life. You would like Keegan. We have Keegan yeah, on the show. I'm he's sure a, he's, he's fine. a lot of fun. Yeah, his, that's uh, well, I know his dad and I know the brother. Yeah, you know, because yeah. they're all I, I live in Westford. Right. Oh, right. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah, I know right, all right, them. Right, right. She she was tough. But anyway, I'm drying my hair, getting ready to go do this interview. It says, in shocking news, the Boston Celtics draft pick Lambas. And I'm like, oh my God, did they trade him? <laughs> and then they're like, he's dead. So I was like, oh crap. So anyway, July comes. I'm on vacation with my boyfriend now my husband we're whitewater rafting in moab utah i get home there's a bunch of us on the trip ian's on the trip with us yeah and we get back and they're all like well what are you going to do monday i'm like i'm going to open my mail i'm going to play basketball at lunch i get into work there's a plane ticket in my cubby and vince said go down to dc they're, they're starting the um indictment proceedings mm-hmm. i want you to you'll just you just have to go for the day well i ended up being there five days i had to buy clothes and whatever right. and so i was there when they indicted uh brian tribble and Oh, yeah. Who the was the other guy name? right there? Yeah. Two guys. Brian Tribble is what I remember. Did you see Bias play all in college? Oh, yeah. 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 Because we kind of knew that he was that they right. were, were going to draft Right out of his eye. Yeah, on, and I right? knew Lefty. I mean, I had covered college basketball for years before I mm-hmm. I did the pros. Um, in fact, I was there for the 80. My first ever Final Four was Villanova-Georgetown. Georgetown. Yeah, is is history, because now you, every year it seems like Bias gets better and better, if that makes any he sense. Was really Was good. he going to be that good? Was he going to be a, yeah, he was. a great, great player? He was. He was. I think so. He was the bridge, you know. It, he and Reggie were the bridge. They, they they wouldn't have missed a beat going forward. And that and, hurt uh, Bird and McHale and oh, it destroyed him. Parrish. I yeah. mean, they, they, that was a guy who could have played minutes. That that eighty seven team that you started covering was right. decimating. They yeah, had they no were. Bench I mean, well, at McHale's all. playing on a broken foot. Right. Bird's got a bad back, a bad shoulder. Uh, Parrish had a bad ankle and a bad knee. Right. And they were a mess. They were. They were a mess, and they weren't deep. And they you no know, bench. And, and Darren Walton Day was all done. Walton was done. Yeah, Walton was done. So that team, you know, I whenever I ask Larry which one is the one that got away. He always says that team. But he always talks about Sly Williams because Sly Williams was with them for a little while right. and was just tearing it up in in practice. Bird's like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever. How do we get this guy? And then I said, well, what happened to him? And he said, I don't know. One day they told us, yeah, he went to the dentist to have dental work done and never came back. <laughs> so that was it. Do he you, blames it all on Sly. Do you like working at ESPN? I do. It has its good days and bad days, like well, any place. Well, yeah, right? but, yeah, but do you understand? I mean, we've spent... A year just killing ESPN. No, I know. Do you understand? Does that make sense to you, or do you say? Yeah, on some on some levels. I mean, the the DeflateGate thing was. Uh, I have to be careful here, I guess, but I think ESPN would like to do that over. Um, Why didn't they just simply delete a tweet? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. You know, I I feel for Mort. I know people sure. don't hear, but no, I do. no, He's I think great people, I think people do. He's a great reporter, and and. Um, ESPN, the, the biggest problem is, it is it's a Disney-owned company now, so it's just so big. Right. When I first started working there in the 80s as a freelancer, you know, I did some 
stuff here and there for them. It was just a very different feel than it is now. So it's it's big now. Like I have to do compliance training. You know, I think I'm all done with my compliance training. And I log <laughs> onto my laptop and I have to do the security measures in Bristol. I never even go to Bristol. Why do I have to right. know the security measures? But, you know, that's just part of a, being a big company. But I'm in a group now that I feel like I've died and gone to heaven in the last year. Um, my kids are out now. They're I'm more empty nesters. They're both ones in grad school, ones in college. So now I can travel again. So the ESPN Boston thing was a great holding pattern for me. Mm-hmm. Kept me local. I could go to my kids' games. I could see them. You know, I could be around them. Now I'm with this NBA enterprise group. So I'm writing for the magazine, and it's just such a gift. I'm writing. I'm working with all these incredibly talented people, and I get to write you know three thousand, four thousand word pieces on Kobe Bryant and heart issues and. And uh, Kevin Garnett, I've been wanting to do this Kevin Garnett story for five years. And they finally said, go ahead and go. Talk to whoever you want. Take as long as you want. Money's no object. You know, so that's right. that's your dream. What do you think of when you see, uh, I mean, Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless, that side yeah. of the VSPN. Does that deep Yeah, hey, it's just part of it. People watch it. I mean, I like Stephen A. I've known Stephen A. a long time. He's really plugged in. You know, again... Doing commercials, I, I wonder how he feels about that. I've never asked him. I think he's made. It's not a great I think he's look. He's made a deal. Yeah, he's made a he's, deal. He's, yeah, that's probably right. And again, who am I to judge? You know, it's just I'm the I'm the stupid one. I'm, I'm the one that's. Fan. I'm not because I, I mean, listen, I do reads all day, but when I see Stephen A. Smith, you know, touring uh, Floyd Mayweather's house and looking yeah, at his cars thing. and going through his closet, that to me is a bigger issue maybe than selling beef jerky. I agree. I agree. And so everybody again has to look in the mirror and answer to themselves what how they feel about. Their role as a journalist. I know the group I'm working with is, and and Pablo Torre's in it, mm-hmm. the guy I work with on Around the Horn, who's just a brilliant guy. Everybody in his family are doctors, and they keep hoping he's going to give up this facade. <laughs> Where do you go for Around the Horn? West Noon, just right in oh, right Washington. Over at the, uh... In fact, you know the day uh, that that pizza, sweet tomatoes. That yes, right across the street from yeah, it. I had been there two hours earlier getting really? my slice. Yeah, I'm so sad about those people. I hope they're all doing okay. Um, so we go there, and you know, we did a live sh- uh, live audience show last week. It was, it was so good. much fun. We went to New York. We had a presidential debate, yeah. with lecterns and everything. And I am the new president, so you should be calling me Madam President. <laughs> and um, so that show, I you know, I started out doing it and thought this is just gonna this is a career killer. This is sophomoric, and I can't do I can't do this. So I quit, and I quit for about a year. And then Tony Reale became the host. And, mm-hmm. He's a pretty thoughtful guy. He's a really talented guy. So you quit when Kellerman was doing it? It wasn't so much him. It was just the way the show was. Mariotti and, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know, Woody on every day, five days a week, just chaos and interrupting. And I, I just didn't feel like it was a good thing for me, you know, if, again, as a journalist, I guess. But I feel like the group we have now is, you know, we have we have a lot of fun, but we, you know, we Tony wants to tackle some issues. We've added some good people. Kate Fagan's a rock star. She's a rock star. Do you and so li- is Pablo. Do you like doing sports talk radio? I know you've had your ups and downs with this station over the years. Not really. Well, I mean, you're on that because yeah. I, I was just yeah. you know bef- ref- you know just doing some research for this. I watched that old Outside the Lions piece, and you and you said you know you've been you've hung up on shows a couple of times. Yeah, and I sexist. On, and yeah, you, I used to hang up on hang up on Jerry and John all the time, but they're my yeah, friends. You know, mine but, too. I mean, but yeah. they're shitheads. I mean, but, yeah, they but are in a good way. Are. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sometimes I listen to you guys, and I'm like, really, really. But then, you know, More John and Jerry, but not the newer, so no, you too, no, you too, not never. letting you off the hook. <laughs> never. You, you know, you guys, the only thing I could, this is why I can't be on talk radio. Number one, we already covered. I have a temper. I'd get, but that's good I, though. I have a temper. Yeah. You but if I was on the radio for four hours a day, five days a week, I would be suspended or fired. I know myself. Well, and, but I've been suspended. You don't yeah. get fired. You wouldn't get fired for well, what? I don't know. Give me an example. So you hear something and you say, if I was on the air with this, I would get fired. Like, what? yeah, I don't would know. Would you get fired over the Jess thing? You get oh no, over I, that. Don't, I don't think so. Over but what? I just I I have a temper, and people I would come at it. People, you know, that's all right though. Yeah, it is. No, no, it now, it's uh, not who I want to be. It's not who I want to be. Maybe well, that's, that's a better answer. But, yeah, but, but I mean, the, I I you, like doing it, but I I I don't do a lot of it anymore. But you had the chance to do it every day from ten to two. I did. You were offered the job. I was a couple times. Yep. Yep. But that just was that's for me was just a lifestyle thing. I'm a writer. I like still want to write. Yeah. And, you weren't close to. You weren't ever close to taking it. No, not really. Mm-hmm. Not really. Um, no. Yeah. No, not really. Just didn't feel like the right thing for me. Yeah. Um, and you know, I laugh because during the real salad days of radio when they were paying people a lot of money, I probably again, I'm not the best I guess I'm not the most financially savvy person, you know. Yeah. But I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. 
So you don't. So you're okay. You listen to. Do you listen to a lot of sports talk or not? When you're I driving? do sometimes. You know when I don't like to listen to it is like on the weekends when I'm home. My husband is a. You know he's born and raised in New England. Right. He's a sports fan. Uh, he has it on first thing in the morning. Really. Like before he leaves for work, and then keeps going. He actually does. This is bad for you guys, but he does love. Uh, LB and those guys too on that oh, show. Oh, in the morning, yeah. Yeah, he likes that oh, that's show. That's fine. Too. Yeah. You can listen to so anyway, you he so he'll he'll have it on like on the weekends washing the car and I'm like, "Oh man, I just want a day off from this." You know? Yeah. So, like, there are other things in my life that matter to me besides sports. We were at the Globe both times. They came to you for 10 to 2 or no? Um I can't remember. Would the Globe, yeah. I mean, would the Globe yeah, have the let Globe. you do both? No, no. No, I don't think so. No? No. no. I think one of the, no, one of the times I was at ESPN. You were. And and it was just, you know, giving up around the horn would have been hard. I've I've grown to love What time do you tape that? that? We tape that like starting at one, but you know, oh, okay, you have a conference right. call at ten thirty. It's a whole day. Yeah, it's sure. a whole day. And I have to say that they those guys have become my second family. Yeah. They're a great group of guys. Bill Plaschke and uh Pablo I mentioned, Tim Kalashak, Kevin Blackstone. Kate, I've grown to like just a great. I don't know there's just I'm, I'm going to miss someone, but that's a family kind of thing. It's a fun show. It beats work, and I often say it's so much fun. And the thing that I like most about it is I have to stay current on everything. Sure, it really. You, if you want to do that show, especially nationally, you got to right. know everything, and that's really hard to do. But it keeps me disciplined, so I like it. I'm glad I get. It is funny though, like how. You know, in term Boston, and maybe some cities like this, but most aren't. I mean, in Boston, we could go all year and never talk about something outside of Boston. That's right. I mean, it is yeah. so, and I've lived here my whole life, but it's so insanely parochial that, yeah. you know, so you're going to talk about today if you're on there. I mean, we would talk about Villanova, obviously, but you would talk about four things that we would never discuss ever. And that's not true. In other markets, Philly, New York, they do national stuff. Chicago, here for some reason. And I've never been able to figure out why my whole life. Because, because we're the center of the world. Right. That's <laughs> no, true. that's what it is. It's it, true. I mean, so I was born and I was born on Long Island in New York City, but I never ever tell anybody. I guess I just have now, but because I, didn't know I want people to think I was born and raised here because right. that's what people appreciate. And I've certainly immersed myself in this community and this, this place. Well, it's and, like Ryan, same yeah, thing. Same thing, exactly. Yeah. And so, but I do. Like to follow the other stuff. It's important for me to be able to. And sometimes I'm at a disadvantage, especially college football, because I don't really care for college football that much. And when we're talking about that on the show, I'm at a major disadvantage because it's not like I'm even going to see a team that comes through here. Right. You know? So you're just faking it? Well, I just have to do a lot of extra homework. Yeah. Yeah. I've asked I had Ryan and Chauncey have both been on here. Ryan and I get along pretty well. Dan and I have had our yeah. moments. And I asked. That's good radio, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I asked both of them, do they think that uh, the Boston Globe will cease publication in their lifetime? They both said yes. Yeah, it's so sad. Would you agree with that? I do. And it's very sad. See, I think what's happening with newspapers is now, to me, they're like, remember when the, well, no, neither one of us were born. When the automobile was invented, Mm -hmm. everyone's like, oh my God, this is great. And there were all these car companies. And then over time- there became, what is there now? Six car companies? Seven? Oh, a million, yeah. There's, there's a million again. But right. for a long time, there was only, only four or five, right? Right. right. And I think that's what's going to happen in newspapers. Um, there's going to be four or five really, really good ones. And uh, everything else is going to sort of, they'll be locals. Well, how old are your kids? Your kids are in, in graduate school and college. So I have a 24 so year old and a 19. Do they physically read the newspaper? Never. I, think, I still get it for nostalgic reasons only. Right. Delivered to my doorstep every morning. I'm 41, and I think my generation is it. Like yeah. I, everyone younger than me doesn't doesn't read it. It's gone. It's totally it gone. They'll have totally to figure gone. out a way to to mo- do you miss writing for the Globe or no? Um, because I mean you're you're obviously writing a lot yeah. still, but do you miss? Well, I mean I I do you miss the day in day out city I miss, sort of thing? I miss the Boston Globe I worked for. Okay, right. I miss the Boston Globe that I just described to you earlier where. I'd drive up to the roof like going, oh man, everybody's going to be in the office today, and I wouldn't trade that for anything. I mean. I saw Will McDonough. I saw Will McDonough like challenge our editor Matt Storm to a fist fight in our our newsroom. It was the greatest thing I ever saw. You know, Will was a great friend to me, um, a great mentor. He's the one that taught me you gotta have an edge, a little bit of an edge, mm-hmm. um, which didn't come to me naturally. Um, although I feel like now it does, probably to my detriment. But um, he's the one that sort of said to me, "You gotta take a stand. You got you can't be afraid." You know, he he was the one that taught me that. He, uh, I was so sad when he died. He, he was, I was in the middle of something that he was helping me with and I called him the night before he was having a Christmas party and it got postponed because he had a 
mild heart episode. So they changed it to January, and I, I called them the night before. Hey, what can I bring? I was really excited that we were going to go to this party. Right. And uh, Ryan answered the phone. He was still young enough to be living at home, and he said, oh, Dad's at the uh, doctor. He's having a stress test. He'll be, he'll be back later. Just, come, just bring yourselves. I know that's what he would say. You know. So that was like at 3 o'clock. I mean, Will came home and died two hours later. Yes. And I talked to Ryan, Bob Ryan, about him, and he liked him, but he also said he would struggle because he said McDonough was so compromised. He was. He, you know, that was, was. that was, he didn't really care about the writing that much, but he also had a million different conflicts with sources he left did. and right. And then Ryan said, you know, he had a yeah, lot of respect for him. They weren't close. They weren't close. It seemed like he really had some issues with him. Would well, you... and everybody did, and, and I did too, but. I mean, was he an asshole, like in a good way? He was like, never an asshole to me. I mean, but like he was. A, I mean, like he was. What he what was I mean. was he was a bit of a bully. You right. Know? He'd lord over you. Again, he he would like. I saw him threaten players. You know. I mean, there's a great story about Tom Brady when Tom Brady first comes to town and he gets in there and he goes, "Yeah, Tommy, you got to stop this." You know, like he's telling Tom Brady how to behave, and Tom Brady's listening because probably he knows that you know he beat up Raymond Claymore once and stuffed him in a lot. Right. right. So I mean, he was a larger than life figure, and again, for his time period. And maybe that's important to point out. He was the norm. That's how everybody operated. Right. You got your sources. You went. You, you stayed with them till the death, and that's how it worked. And then the next generation, that was a little different. So you know, people. You know, people call Bob Ryan a homer. You know. Sure. So, well, every you know that was his generation, right? right? You travel with the team, and you yep. you went out for drinks with Dave Cowens after the game. And yep. My generation comes along and goes, yeah. I don't know if you should do that, you know? But, and then the next generation, they don't even drink. God bless them. But the difference is now, like, so by this next generation, I would say between, say, 25 and 40, especially in this city, and you might disagree, I feel like part of the reason I've been able to sort of move forward and have a career is that I'm sort of cynical, and I it doesn't seem to be a lot of cynicism. It seems well, there's like not a lot of personality. No, almost, it seems yeah. like they're all, and I don't know if that's because of Twitter I don't, I don't know if know. that's because yeah. of social media. I don't know if that's because of message boards. I don't know what it's because of, but I look around at guys my age, and they're all nice guys, but the mm-hmm. problem is they're all nice guys. I mean, right, there's, right, not, right. there's not a lot of— Well, there's not a lot of challenging going on. And that's why you know you, people can say what they want about Shaughnessy, but he serves a very, very important oh, purpose. Oh, he's essential. Yeah, he really totally is. Totally essential. And, and, you know, Borges, too. I know people like to rag on Borges a lot, but same kind of idea. No question. You know? And, you know, challenging Belichick's a big deal. And I did it once— <clears throat> Without even thinking about it, I was maybe even too young to understand what I had done. But he had uh, made Ted Johnson, he deactivated Ted Johnson, a healthy scratch for a game against the Green Bay Packers. And I had just become a columnist. And I was like, well, why? And I went down there and started talking to the players. And they're all like, yeah, this is bullshit, whatever. Off the record, of course, right? So I wrote this column and, uh, you know, ripping Belichick, but. I don't know. I didn't even realize what I was doing. I swear mm-hmm. to you. I mean, right. I wrote what I thought, right? And I didn't realize the the, the fallout of it. And um, but what I didn't realize also was that there was a real positive fallout for me that I didn't I didn't bear the fruit of for a couple of years. And that was that all those linebackers, Brewski, Vrabel, all those guys, they're like, "Who's this guy?" They didn't even because they didn't even know me, right? And they're like, "Whoa, oh, it's her! Wow, she wrote this!" You know, and that's. That's how I developed my relationships. Again, unbeknownst to me, I said to Rabel one day, how come you're so good to me? He goes, because you took him on. And I, you know, I didn't know that. So it's, there's unintended, unintended consequences sometimes, positively and negatively, because, of course, Belichick isn't going to give me shit. You ever, do you have any dealings with him now ever or no? No, I guess not, really. not now, but in No, the last I mean, few years. you know, I go, I ask my question. He, you know, I remember once I was getting on an elevator. I was late for practice. Um, it was snowstorm, and I, my husband was out of town, so I was, like, trying to get my car out. And I got to the – you know, I was trying to go up to the press room. That's where they were doing the press conference, and he was coming on his little wagon, you know. The yeah, thing. yeah. I've and so it, yeah. we're waiting – I was waiting for the elevator, and we're standing there, and Stacy's there and someone else, and they're like uh, – so, you know, the elevator – we're just standing there. And I go, well, how are you guys today? And, you know, he just won't even look. He's just mad. I don't know. He wasn't mad at me. He was mad yeah. about something no else. No eye contact, yeah, nothing. Yeah, no one even looked at me. So then I go, so is this a private elevator bill, or can I get on too, you know? Right. I, Come on. Right, right. And he went like this with his hands. He just kind of gestured, yeah, get on. So I was like, this is unbelievable. Like, we're all grown people. You think you'd be a beat writer every day and, and have Belichick do that to you every day like these guys do and then go yeah. and write about it? Could you do it? I don't know. Maybe not anymore. I'd rip the crap out of him. I know that. I mean, how many asshole coaches and managers did you really deal with? Casey Jones, good guy. Oh, the best, yeah. Chris Ford, good guy. The best, yeah. Jimmy Rogers. 
Yeah, Jimmy was tough. Jimmy used to call me at home because he was just nervous. You know, he was the classic example of an assistant coach that shouldn't have become a head coach. Right. He was the best assistant coach ever. And Chicago, the worst. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Minnesota. No, worst, I'm sorry, but he's oh, a great assistant Chicago. in Chicago. Yeah, though, he too, was. With, with but he, he went, yeah. Remember, he went to Minnesota to became the head coach. Right, just right. horrible. And he used to call me at home. He'd be mad about things I wrote. And he'd be calling me at my house. <laughs> Call your house? My house. Right. Yeah, well, because no cell phones, right? Right, right. So he's like, and I'm like, Jimmy. He'd be like screaming. I'm like, what has happened to you? You know, he's just was off the rails. But, you know, like I said, Grady Little was tough. McNamara hated my guts. Well, Jerry he, always says McNamara was just a he monster. He was the worst to everybody. But he used to see me with Dan. Because Dan and I were friendly, right. so he it was right. guilt, but you know he hate hate by association. But you know the Celtics guys, one after another, were pretty tremendous. I mean Doc, I knew Doc. I covered right. Doc as a player, right? And Brad Stevens is just he's a prince. How I would you give us more? But how would you prince. deal with you know? So you were on the beat during sort of like the bird, like the end of Bird, right, the right. bat, the back. So like back then as a beat writer, Bird, you know, throws yeah, bird out his back. Ass. He was an asshole near the end. He's not going to play. How do you find out, Jeff Twist? I mean, how do you find out these? It's different, like yeah. as opposed to now. What what goes on? I mean, it seems right. like it's a different well, world. Yeah, and so and oh, so he was an asshole to you at the end. Bird? Oh yeah, just grumpy because he was in he pain. Was hurt. Right. Yeah, he treated everybody like crap. You know, right. and he liked me, yeah. but he still treated me like crap near the end. And, and actually, I'm the one that broke the story that he was having the back surgery. And so he was pissed about that, too, because he didn't want anybody to know his business, which I understand. But, hey, that's my that's job. That's your job, sure. That's my job, you know. But he was so impossible to deal with near the end. I actually finally, when he was being one of Gavitt's assistants, remember, he retired, mm-hmm. and that's what he did. Yeah. And, and he was mad at me because I had written the Gavitt thing. You know, there was, he right. was mad at me about that. He's still mad at me about that, actually. And... um you know, I just said when I go, what the hell's happened to you? Like, go right. get the surgery. You're a pain in the ass. You're, right. you know. And so when you get older, that's how you, like, that's what's happened to me and to every other journalist that's ever done my job. Like, you're 20 something years old. You want to please everybody. You want to fit in. You want to do your job, but you want to. And then by the end, you're like, you're a jerk. You know, like Rondo <laughs> near the end. I'm like, get right. back here. Like, he was, the, everybody was waiting for him. Been waiting for him for 45 minutes. And he comes out. He's like, not today. I go, get back. Here. You know, I hear myself doing, I can't even, it's like, right. he's my son. Right. Get back here. These guys have been waiting on, get back here. You know? And he looks at you and he comes back, you know. Who's the biggest jerk you ever dealt with? I always ask this. The yeah. biggest, if you had to pick one, McNamara? McNamara, I've Josh heard... Beckett, um, Jim Paxson was pretty tough. Yeah. Because we were on the other, you know, we were on the wrong side of that. Oh, that war, yeah. And he actually threatened me after that whole thing happened. He's like, I demand a retraction. I said, talk to Shaughnessy. I didn't write it. It was the yellow streak down the back Yeah, thing. yeah. You know, talk to Shaughnessy. He said, I'm telling you right now, I'm demanding a retraction. My teammates want that retraction. If you don't write it, you're done here. You're shut down in this locker room. And I'm like, Pfft. But I was shaking. You know? Right, sure. I mean, people yell at you like that. You, yeah. you know. But, uh. I thought Beckett, and it, it wasn't, he was an asshole to everybody, not just me, but I, he was one of the biggest jerks I've ever been around. After all the baseball guys were the worst. Baseball guys are the worst? Yeah. Nomar could be a real jerk back yeah. in the day. He was pretty bad. When did you start writing, well, how did the conversation start with Bird to write books with him? Well, that was a surprise for me. I had gone to Sports Illustrated, and he had been named the coach, and uh, so I called him up and said, hey, can I do a story on you for Sports Illustrated? He goes, ah, I don't want to do it, but they're making me do all this shit. That's part of my job. I said, so is that a yes? All right, come on out. So right. out I go. And, you know, we hadn't seen each other for a little while. And a lot of, you know, every, he was healthy. I was, You know, we were mm-hmm. in different places in our life. Um, actually, my sister had just passed away. And uh, he was asking me about that. So I actually got a little upset, which I, you know, lost my composure a little bit. Anyway. It ended up being a great story. He gave me some great stuff, and they right. put it on the cover. It was my first cover story at SI. And, yeah, I remember. And it went, it went really well. And, and then so I get a call from Jill Leone, his long, long-time agent, and she said, hey, uh, confidentially, um, Larry's doing another book. I said, oh, okay. He, she said, yeah, this guy Mark Shaw's doing a book, and he doesn't really want to do another book, but he wants to bury that book because it's unauthorized. I said, mm-hmm. oh, so I think she's going to, like, run the names by me, you know? And she's like, so uh, confidentially now, like, would you want to write it? And I was like, well, let me think about it. Uh, yes. <laughs> right. Like, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Right. I couldn't believe he asked me. And then so, you did the one with Bird and Magic. Yeah. How many years later was that? Well, so that was a fits and start. That started out as a coffee table book with this Looney Tune guy from Canada. It was a coffee table book. And Bird said, I want Jackie to do it because we had had this good, yeah. you know. And so I went to start doing it. The guy's name was Alan Turowitz, the turtle. And the guy literally ended up in the loony bin and ran off with our money. Really? So the project, really? Yeah. Is that true? No, it really happened. That's, so this, that book originally was going to be a coffee table book. Yeah. And I'm so glad, in retrospect, it wasn't. Because I started doing my report, and I'm like, this would be a great effing book. I mean, this, sure, this could be of a course. tremendous book. Yeah. So we just waited a little while. 
And uh, I lost money on that. And Bird sent me a check. I didn't ca- cash it because mm-hmm. it wasn't his money. I mean, it right. wasn't his fault. Right. Um, but that's the difference between Larry and Magic. Magic's like, oh, on to the next thing. You know, too bad about Jackie. On to the next thing. Bird's like, man, you got screwed. I'm sorry. You know. Is the Bird-Magic relationship mythologized a little bit? I mean, or, or are they— You know what's funny? It, it, the premise for the book was, mytho- was a little bit. But you know what? By doing that book and me going to Larry and saying, well, here's what— Irvin said about you mm-hmm. and he's like wow he said that and then he's and then I go back to Irvin and I'd say this is how Larry remembers it and he's like oh my god and they became really close doing this project and now they really are really close and and you know the one that stunned me was when Bird said I think in the documentary that kind of accompanied the book was if I had you know one call to make I know I, I could call magic and he would and that that's real yeah, that part's real. But the you know the rest of it, the, the fact that they were in each other's psyche, that was all real, and they really did hate each other early on until the trip to whatever. It was. Well, that's probably the part Is, that's, that's a little, mythologized. A little yeah, bit? I mean that did happen, and they yeah. did connect that day. But there was you know they still played in a couple of they played in a championship after that, the '87 uh, championship. Yeah, I think you know? uh, right. Yeah, that's yeah, true. So and you know so Magic still think he's going to hug Larry before a tip off, and Larry's still like, yeah, yeah no, that's not uh, happening. Yeah, you know, you know, so Irvin Irvin sort of exaggerates everything. I'm, I'm irrational about it as I get older and older. I get more rational, but I still say that Bird in '86 was the best basketball player who ever lived. I know I'm probably wrong. Jordan was probably better. LeBron might might be better. Maybe yeah. Magic in '87 was better, but Bird could do everything. He could do everything. Everything, and he was just. So mentally tough. Oh. And, and that's what he and Jordan share. Right. You know, Jordan is the same way. And Magic a little less so. But Magic was more talented, obviously. Well, yeah. And could do more but things. But he, I mean, he also had Kareem. I yeah, mean, but, Kareem was one but, of the five best just players dis- ever. We just discussed how good Kevin McHale was. So but Kareem won six MVPs. Yeah, but... but I mean, Kareem won MVPs while he was teammate with, teammates with Magic. He right. He won finals. MVP. I mean, Kareem is in the, in the early 80s. Yeah, he's mid-80s. one of the greatest players that ever lived. But see, I, I don't think it... That argument doesn't work for me because Mikhail was every bit as good in his own way. And Parrish was one of the most underrated centers that's ever played well, the game. Worthy was a great player. I mean, he was. I mean, yeah, no, yeah, but that's why it was, you know. Do you feel like you walked in and it, and it at the very best it ever was and it's never been as good? Um, I mean, I know. We, we yeah, get, I mean, I covered the get... Bulls. I covered all those Bulls teams, too, um, in a different capacity, obviously. But that rivalry just made it. And, and, and it was, they only played each other twice a year, but it was, you just waited for it. It was so incredible. I have to say, I'm, I really like where the league is now, and, and I know a lot of people my age don't. I like the stretch four. I like the three-point shot. I like the pace of the game. I like that the San Antonio Spurs only hold the ball for half a second before they pass it again. I think it's beautiful basketball. And I, it's too bad that those two teams can't play each other in the finals because that's going to be your real final. Those two teams are amazing. It is hard to watch when the Celtics are struggling, though, and they take 42 threes in the game. Yeah, I, I, mean, that, I that, understand that. Well, so th- that's the downside of the three-point sure. revolution. The Houston Rockets are the, are the right. perfect example Correct. of you know going six for 30 in a three-point. Right. And, and every time Jaron Sullinger uh, takes a three, I want to throw it. I mean, it doesn't yeah, make any sense ridiculous. to me. And, you know, he claims Brad tells him to do it, and I, I just can't imagine that's true. But, you know, Kelly Olenek as, a, as your five shooting threes, right. that's the new NBA, and I, and I like that. I like that. Did you know that Ainge was this smart when you covered him that he could he could do this? I knew he was different. Yeah. And and I remember again, we used to fly commercially and one time, who knows why, I'm sure there was a method to his madness. He had, there was an extra first class seat next to him and he upgraded me and I sat next to him on the flight all the way home. It was a long flight too. And we talked about basketball all the way home and we did not agree on one single thing. I have never seen the game the way he has ever. Ever. Still, to some degree, that's true. Well, I think he was a good coach. I think he was a yeah, good was analyst. A good and yep. I think he's, oh, yeah. I think he's so, and he's made a lot of mistakes, things that haven't worked out, but he's always had a plan. And I think what he's done, and it may not work out, maybe they won't get lucky and they won't get the right. picks. Yeah, they've been but, really unlucky so far. So with far, the but what picks. they've done with Garnett, who was done, Pierce, who was done, and Doc, who didn't want to be here, yeah. is. No, it was. It was, it was, and it was hard, but it had to be done. I thought they were going to do it a year earlier, to be honest. And I think Danny thought about doing it a year earlier. Yeah, but that it, was after that Miami. Right. So they were up 3 2 in that series. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, tough to yeah, do. Yeah, you can't do it. You can't do it. But he, and then, you know, Garnett to this day will tell you. That's bullshit that that happened. It never, Paul Pierce should never been treated that way. Paul Pierce did not want to leave. I sat down in New Jersey with them, with the, with the, the Nets, and did a sit-down with both of them. And they just ripped I remember, the yeah. Celtics, ripped the crap out of them. And I understood where they were coming from, but the Celtics did the right thing. 
They did they did what Dave Gavitt should have done all those years ago. He should have pulled the trigger on Mikhail to Dallas or or Parrish to wherever it was. You know, he should have done that and he didn't. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you, Jackie. I will you. I will I will let you go. You can go uh show off your temper somewhere else. You kept your temper in check, I think, well, today. Well, um, you didn't make me mad, so... Well, that's part of my charm. That's part of... <laughs> so I hear. I feel bad now that if I had known in Phoenix, you know, a year and a half ago, I would have sat down with Michael Dye. I didn't realize... I thought that was a friend of yours. Oh, it was some Yahoo that was, like, asking me for autographs, and can I give him Larry Bird's phone number? And... Did you give him Larry... I'm sure you always give out Larry Bird's phone number. Yeah, he all loves the time. You people... want it? Here, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> when people it's, call Larry, it's they love 888... it. It's <laughs> 888... Yeah. No, uh, thanks, Jack. All right, thanks. Thanks for listening to Enough About Me with Kirk Minahan. If you want more great podcasts, it's pretty easy. You go and go to the WEI mobile app. You can go to Stitcher. You can go to iTunes. You can look up Enough About Me with Kirk Minahan. You can find the ones with Sean McDonough, Bob Ryan, Dan Shaughnessy, David Portnoy. There'll be more. And what you can do when you like them, you write a review. That'll help us out a lot. You give us a rating. We can help you. You can help us. Get that done. Do it right now. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.